great to be with you. I, I don't know a lot of people here, so I've met Andrew for the first time, Mickey for the first time, Tim, Hills, I think those are, that's about it. I met lots of people at the back. I don't know all your names, but nice to see you, nice to meet you. I'm not going to try to go into a bit of who I am and all that jazz, but just to give you a brief overview. My parents are missionaries, so I was born in Liberia. My dad is from Nigeria. My wife is from Ghana. Sorry. I say that again. I was born in Liberia. My dad is from Nigeria. My mom is from Ghana. My wife is from Stockport, and I live in <laughs> Willingshaw. <laughs> so there you go. I've got two kids, uh, eight and two, and one on the way. And uh, it's it's an honor to be with you. I bring you greetings from Manchester, where God lives. <laughs> oh, thank you. that's an unusual response. People are clapping. That's good. Well, I love Manchester, and I feel really called to be there. And, um, you know, as we're worshiping, I was so encouraged and just stirred. Oh, let me just start my timer before I forget. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Okay, here we go. Yeah, just because once you start speaking, it's like you step into, into this eternal world. <laughs> you just lose track of time, right? So, um, as we're just worshiping, I just really go, I've never heard that last song we did, but... The first few lines just really got stirred in my heart, just God's hope for this nation, uh, that, and I want to declare that to you, God is not finished with the United Kingdom. I, I, I know it may feel like as believers, we're in the minority, things might be seeming like we're not making lots of progress, but God is not finished. That's why people like me are here, because God wants to revive this nation, and God has not forgotten the seeds that your forefathers sold for, the, uh, sold for the gospel many years ago. Many of them died for the sake of the gospel. Do you realize some of them took their coffins out to the mission field ready to give everything? There's no way the blood that was shed for the gospel from these shores will be forgotten because the, the blood of the martyrs are actually the seed of the church and God uses that to expand and God doesn't forget. So I want to declare that over you, even over this town, over this region that God is still yet to do some great things that we're yet to see, and we're not going to stop believing for it, okay? And so uh, I want to, I guess some of the things I want to share is to inspire, to stir you, to challenge you in your walk in prayer. I've been doing this for many years now, uh, and you go to different places, and you can just feel where people are at sometimes in their walk with prayer. I love the culture you already have of prayer, even how the service started, how everyone is engaging in prayer and all that. I think that's so, so important that we build a culture where every single person has an opportunity to grow into everything God's called them to be. Now, today, we're going to be looking at James 5. So if you go to your Bibles, uh, uh, I'm going to read that in a few moments. But uh, before I come to that, um, I want to start by just giving a few, I don't know if it's disclaimers or... <laughs> I might shout. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> and I know that might not be so Anglican, but, you know, um, if I do shout, <laughs> which may happen... Just know I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm just excited, you know. And um, I, I often, obviously, worship in different environments and cultures and settings. And, you know, and, and I say to people, it's, it's, not, it's not an African thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a kingdom thing. <laughs> they didn't say shout unto the Lord. 
And when you read through scripture, you see a lot of expression. And I know I've, I've been to different settings and some people are so uh, uh, calm, cool, collected, you know, the stiff upper lip, you know, you know, and, and there's no emotion being shown. God has got emotions. God is very expressive. And I know he's made you expressive because when you watch football, I see you very expressive. <laughs> right? So doesn't it, it doesn't make much sense to me to be more expressive in heart connection to a sport than you are to the God who created you and gave you everything. So there's something wrong with that picture. So I'm thinking football, basketball, sports will not have more of my emotions than God. Because I've met believers that they're so excited and get so mad and happy and all the emotions about football, but they come to church and they're a frozen chicken. <laughs> so we're going to break that mold today. We're going to come to scripture in a few moments. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a few things I want you to understand before we read this scripture. Um, and I think I'll call this prayer personalities. Now, I have a personality that is going to come through my ministry today. And actually, I might be a bit uh, animated and all that, but I'm an introvert. I, I get more energy by just being on my own. I could be locked away in a room for days and not bother going outside and not be depressed. I mean, for me, that's just great. <laughs> I love my own company. <laughs> and so I know for some people, even some of my friends like that would just drive them insane. That's okay. But that, that's just the way I'm wired. I'm okay with, with that kind of, you know, having space. And that's why I, I love those kind of spaces because I can go deeper in prayer and, and even make time to seek God and do things that sometimes I find difficult to do in a setting. Now, when I'm up here on the platform ministering, I might be animated, I might scream, I might shout, I might do all that stuff, but that's the way the Holy Spirit works through me. Okay, so don't look at that and think, I've got to be exactly like that. Because when you look through Scripture, you see that there's so many personalities all through Scripture, and they all had unique, deep, this is the key word, deep, everyone say deep, relationships with God. Scripture says in Psalms, the deep calls unto deep, right? We're called to be people, we're supposed to be people that live in the deep things of God. So if deep calls unto deep, guess what? Shallow calls unto shallow. And many Christians live in a shallow place. And their mind, their emotions, their life is just wrapped around temporary pleasures of this world. All the distractions, so they never journey into the deep things. We're called to live in the deep places of God. If we're going to live in the deep things in God, then we need to realize God has given us personalities. And those personalities is giving us that for a reason. So how we engage with spiritual things may manifest slightly differently. For example, Abraham was known as a friend of God. He's known as a prophet. He's also known as an intercessor. And he prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, yeah, sorry, was it Sodom yeah, he prayed for someone to go around. He, he, what we call intercede, he stood in the gap and was asking God for mercy, was pleading for God's, uh, was pleading for God's mercy upon a region. And when you read the accounts of his interaction with God, it almost seems like, um, like an auction. You know, where can I have 50? Can I have 40? Can I? <laughs> How many know the story I'm talking about? Now, I'm assuming a lot of you have Bible, like, understanding know these stories because it would take me a long time to go into the whole details look at the way he interacted with God it seemed a lot more conversational now let's translate well let's move to another bible character Elijah we're going to look at him in a moment God said to Elijah in first 
Kings 18, I'm going to send rain. Now, Elijah would, like many people today, be like, yes, God, thank you for that prophetic word. But I tell you what Elijah didn't do. Elijah didn't go on Instagram and post a reel about the word of God he just received. Elijah didn't write a book about it. Elijah didn't send a message to all his friends. I received the word from God today. Even though God said to Elijah, I'm going to send the rain, you know what Elijah did? He then went up on the mountaintop. And the Bible said he put his head between his knees and he began to what we call travail and groan and push in prayer. Now, the way Elijah prayed is different to the way Abraham prayed. It's different to the way Daniel prayed. It's different to the way Jeremiah prayed. It's different to the way Paul the Apostle prayed. It's different to the way Esther prayed. Can you see what I'm trying to say here? Different personalities. I guarantee you, if you spend time with Elijah, you'll get a slightly different essence and feel of his person than if you spend time with Abraham. And if you spend some time praying with Abraham and spend some time praying with Elijah, I guarantee you there'll be a different sense in those two different prayer meetings. Are you with me today? So the point I'm trying to make is when I pray, it's actually the Holy Spirit working through me with the type of nature he's given me. So you shouldn't look at me and go, you know what? You're so good at prayer. You do all the prayer, I'm just going to watch you do it because I'm not good at it. No, 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 no. You're called to it just like I'm called to it as well. Oh, newsflash, there's no such thing as a gift of prayer. If you have ever seen that in Scripture, please come and tell me after the service so I can update my teaching. As far as I know, there is no such thing as a gift of prayer or even a gift of intercession. I've never seen that. You see, we have, you know, people called to the fivefold ministry and pastors, teacher, evangelists, prophet, and all that stuff. But there's no such thing as a gift of prayer because we're all called to it. Just like there's no such thing as a gift of worship, right? You might have a worship leader who has a grace to lead, but that's not to say he does your worship for you. Just like the worship leader doesn't do your worship for you, some people may lead in prayer and inspire others in prayer, but their job is not to do your prayer for you. I'm one of those, inspire people and, and lead in prayer. And I've been in settings where people don't often say this, but it's like, oh, it seems like you love to pray. You know, just send you my prayer request. I want to say to you, don't outsource your prayer life. <laughs> don't outsource your prayer life. And oftentimes, prayer is more about God doing a deep work in you than you receiving the results. So, I mean, we have all day today. So, there's so much we're going to talk about. But we can't do that this morning. So, let me just kind of pull myself back a bit before I go too deep. Listen, 4 o'clock, I want you to come if you're able to. I would love to have some interaction. So, if you've got questions, I don't have all the answers. Even as I speak, maybe questions are coming to your mind and you want to have a space so we can, you know, just dialogue and talk about some of the challenges many people have in prayer. I'd love you to come to that four o'clock session, a seminar. It's going to be a bit more interactive. However, let's turn to James 5. James 5, 16. This is a well-known passage. And I love the way it starts uh, because this is a great reminder for all of us. Uh, the importance of living a life that's so open and so transparent. And I'm one of those people where if you, you don't need to ask me how you're doing, because oftentimes I, I can't hide how I'm feeling. <laughs> you see it, you feel it. It's like, it's just anyone that knows me, in fact, you don't even need to know me. It's often very clear if I'm having a great day or not a great day. <laughs> so I love living a life that's very open and nothing hidden, because uh, I find that because of what God's called me to in leadership, 
it's more effective to, it's like to have a light heart. As in, it, there's nothing weighing on me. There's no kind of hidden secrets and all of that. Living open. And that's one of the reasons why I love the way this scripture starts. Because it's a scripture about prayer, but look at the way it starts. James 5.16. It says, confess your trespasses. I'm reading from the New King James. Confess your trespasses or your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. When was the last time you took time to confess your sin? Not to God. Or not just to God, shall I say, but to another person. Look at what it says. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. So is it possible that there are dimensions of healing that we're missing out on because we are not confessing to one another? Because the power of sin is often in its secrecy. And the enemy wants you to keep everything inward and not live in a place where you are open. And this is one of the things that shuts down an effective prayer life. Many of you have come here this morning during worship. You're probably hearing the enemy replay in your mind things that have happened this week. While you're not qualified to sing a song in this place today. While you're not qualified to lift your hands. While you're a hypocrite. You know what gets rid of all that stuff? Confessing. Not just to God. But say, hey, this last few days, maybe to your wife or to a close friend you're, uh, you're, you're accountable to or you live open with, hey, I've had this struggle. This is what's going on. I'm telling you, that bringing of whatever is going on in the secret, bringing that into the light, oftentimes just breaks the power of it or at least half the impact it has on your emotions such that when you come here and you lift your hands and you are singing these songs the enemy can come and whisper in your ears but you know what you can say back i'm living in the light (laughs) there's therefore now no condemnation because whatever is going on in here is not just between me and god and oh yeah god you know my struggles no i am living open that is so key to effective prayer because look at what it says next confess your sins once you know that i may be healed The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. And I'm going to just read how he says in the Amplified, because I love uh, the Amplified translation of this verse. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of the righteous man makes tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. (laughs) Don't you just love that? The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. When we talk about prayer, oftentimes people just think of prayer as a means of getting God to do something for them. And I think this is where we all get it wrong. And when you want to build a structure, you need to first consider the type of foundations you want to lay. If you have the wrong foundations, you can't build certain things. Like if this building was meant to be a skyscraper, then I guess the foundations would have been different to what it is right now. Foundations are so important, yet you don't see them. They're hidden. And when you have the wrong foundations, especially in something like when we talk about prayer and pursuing God, then your prayer life is not 
uh, a prayer life that's growing strong, not just for a month or two, but for decades. See, I, I like to make this clear. We're not in this journey for just a few exciting moments. Oh, yeah, I went to Soul Survivor. I went to this Christian conference. I went to this, and I got excited. Radical Christianity is not about going on a mission trip to Brazil or, you know, some African place and, and having an amazing time for a few weeks or maybe a few months and then coming back. That's not, that's not what radical Christianity in my mind really is. And this is a part definition of what I believe radical Christianity is. It's growing in passion for God steady for decades. I didn't say two months. I didn't say three months. I didn't say five months or even two years. Decades. Everyone say decades. So this means if you're truly walking with God and you've been a Christian for 10 years, after 10 years, you should be more on fire than you were at year one. But many of us in this room would agree that that's probably not been the experience for many people. In fact, it seems to me like Christians get more cynical <laughs> the longer they have been a Christian. And I'll say spiritual maturity is not based on the length of time. Oh, yeah, I've been a Christian for 10 years or 15 years. That doesn't make you spiritually mature. I hope you realize that. Because you could be coming to church, hearing a sermon, but you're not being changed. The, what, what, the litmus test or what shows how much you're maturing is how Christ-like you're becoming. So there could be someone sat at the back of the church that has been a Christian for one year, and they have grown more in their relationship with God and are more Christ-like than you who has been a Christian for 10 years. So you could be a Christian for 20 years and, uh, and really be in spiritual nappies still. Because as a baby, all you're thinking about as a baby is what? Your needs. A baby is very concerned only about them. When they're not happy, everyone else cries, cries. It's all about what they want. But as that baby matures, as a parent, your relationship with that baby should shift to a place where it transitions on what they want. Even though as a parent, you want to give them what they want, now you start to have real relationship and conversation. And the conversations get deeper. So what is the content of your conversation with God? Is it still the same way it was five years ago? Are you still talking to God the same way in this, with, about the same things? Focusing on, God, on, uh, on, on those things in the same way? Could it be that you are not really maturing? And I want to just lightly touch on this before we go further, because where I'm going is really a bit further. It's not really about this, but I want to lay this foundation. Now, prayer is not about getting God to do what you want him to do when you want him to do it, because God is not a vending machine. Do you exist for God or does he exist for you? Is it all about just God doing how you want him? Now, and don't get me wrong, God is, a, is, a, is our heavenly father and he will bless us and he will meet our needs. But I want to tell you, I've done this long enough to know there are many things that I am still believing God for right now that I have been believing for for many years and it hasn't happened yet. So why am I standing here still passionate about prayer? How is it that I have areas where there could be disappointments and there are disappointments? Where I've prayed and I've not seen the manifestation, but I am still passionate? How is that possible? It's because there's a right foundation I have in me. And that foundation is this, intimacy with God. I am not praying to get God to do something. 
Prayer is not a means to an end. It's an end by itself. It's, 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 it's the foundation of our faith. Relationship. You've probably said it before. Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. Many Christians don't believe that. They say it. You know we sing a lot of lies in church. Oh, you don't believe me. <laughs> Let's get out some of our songs. <laughs> we, we say all these things, but we don't really mean it. See, your mouth is saying one thing, but your heart is saying another thing. And you think God can't see that? See, I can deceive you. You can deceive me. We can all deceive each other with our actions and our nice Christian charismatic gymnastics. But we cannot deceive the spirit world. Angels are watching. Demons are watching. God is watching. So we might as well be real and say, Lord, okay, I'm seeing this, but I don't really mean it. I'm saying I want more of you. But actually, after this service, I want to watch football. And then I want to meet my friends. And the next Sunday, I'm going to come and sing that song again. I want more of you. But my actions are not showing I want more of you. My actions are showing I just want to engage with the things of the world more than you. But yet, I'm singing it. I want more of you, God. How can you have more of God if you don't give him more of you? Even if he was going to give you more, where is that more going to fit into your Netflix, Disney Plus, Sky Sports, family life, busy work, and then five minutes at night, oh yeah, God, thank you for today. Bless my family. God, give us some money. Help us with the bills. And amen. And that's it. And next Sunday, same thing. How is, okay, let's just be practical. You have a friend and they only come to you when they want to get something from you. What, what, what kind of relationship? <laughs> I tell you a word for them. Parasites. <laughs> they only come to you to just suck you dry. Now, thank God our Father is not like that. As in, even if all we do is just come to him in those moments, he's still glad that we're still coming to him. But he is after something deeper. And I'm telling you, what sustains me in prayer is not so much, now thank God for answers to prayer, and I have lots of those. But what sustains me is the connection at a heart level and how God transforms me on the inside. The encounters with God, that sustains me more than just, yes, God, I want this. And yes, we're still going to pray for needs. Yes, we're still going to pray for a move of God. But we have to be sustained by the right foundation. Are you with me? Back to the verse. So, the effectual fervent prayer, the, the, uh, the uh, amplifier says the heartfelt, continued. See, when we talk about prayer, from God's perspective, it goes beyond just words. Prayer does not start with words. It starts in the heart. God is not moved by our words. It's not about how articulate you sound and, you know, how theologically accurate everything is. I want to say this. You can be theologically accurate and spiritually wrong. You don't believe me? Ask the slave girl who came to Paul and I think Paul and Barnabas and was shouting out to them, these are the servants of the Most High God. Now, if you're a theologian and you were there and you tried to dissect everything she said right there, if it was accurate, if it was right, You'll be able, you will not be able to find fault with her utterance. Because everything that slave girl said was accurate. It was right. But she was operating from what we know as a spirit of divination. So you can be theologically accurate and spiritually wrong. So God is not after theology. Now I'm not trying to say we just throw out theology. <laughs> God is not just after accurate theology and everything sounding right and, you know, the right words. And, and there are lots of prayers going on right now that are just sounding right to everyone. It's like, oh, yeah, that sounded so good. But it's not moving anything. I don't know about you. 
I am more concerned about moving angels and demons than men and women. When I preach, people may be moved. But when I pray, angels and demons will be moved. And I am more concerned about a reputation in the spirit realm than in the natural realm. So if I am more concerned about that, then I need to understand the things that cause movement, impact, real shift in the realm of the spirit. And this is where it starts, in the heart. The heart is a factory. It's a place where you have to guard. God is wanting to move on your heart and is wanting you to pray from your heart, not from your head. Because hearts, emotions, feelings are, are so weighty and they translate to spiritual realities. So don't just ignore those emotions. Now, I'm not preaching emotionalism. But what I'm trying to say is you cannot just live in a place where you're disconnected from your Okay, let me say it this way. If the prayer is not moving you, why should heaven be moved? If you're not bothered, why? If you just bring because, you know, Andrew said, oh, yeah, we're going to pray. Oh, yeah, and you, you just religiously go through the motion. Why on earth should heaven be moved? If you're just speaking words. See, when heaven hears or receives prayer, it arises as, it leaves, it often leaves our mouths as words, but it arrives his throne as what the Bible calls incense. So it translates into something else. And in that instance, is beyond your words, is actually a fusion of what's coming from your words and what's happening in your heart. So, there ha you know, what does David says? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So there has to be a fusion between the heart and the words. And even though sometimes I find easy to have words in prayer, and some people might be in a prayer meeting with me and hear me pray, go, oh, you know what, I feel like he's prayed all the prayers. I don't understand anything. And I say to them, because I lead up prayer meetings often, small groups, I'm like, okay, the fact that I've prayed something that's on your heart does not mean you just keep quiet, because you also need to release your words, even if it's not articulated as mine. Because I would rather have a heart without words to articulate it perfectly than have words without a heart. And just empty religious stuff. God is moved by, by what's going on in the heart. So we, in this passage you just read, he actually goes and talks about Elijah. Elijah captured something in God that was so significant. I mean, Elijah captured something that really, um, he, it's like he, he was able to push into a dimension in prayer in God that no one else had before him. It was something completely different. So in the book of Malachi, God then says, I'm going to send Elijah again. And God speaks, there's all these prophetic words through scripture about Elijah being released. I want to imagine it this way, that Andrew, you know, senior leader here, Andrew, imagine you capture, based on your walk with God, you model something so unique in God that God decides, I'm going to name that realm after you. And so that realm is now called Andrew. <laughs> and then 50 years down the line, God wants to do something unique. And it's like, I'm going to send Andrew. God doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he's going to send you the person. But that realm you captured, God wants to release it again. So that's what it meant when we read Malachi and other scriptures that talk about the spirit of Elijah. Elijah captured something of an intensity 
a fervency in prayer that God wants to release again upon us. And that's so important. We don't have time to go into the details. But it's important in preparing the way for the very things we all cry out for. We sang about it. Spirit breakout. You know, uh, you know revival. We're, we're, con- we're wanting to see more of God. And for that to happen, there are two things. I'm saying this and we'll round up. Two things that are critical. One, intensity. And I've already touched on the essence of that. It's heartfelt, coming from our hearts. It's something that's not just in our heads. We are consumed at a heart level for what is on his heart. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit, as well as our surrender to his work in us. The second part is, again, we don't have time to go into this this morning. So there is uh, intensity, and second thing is tenacity. The ability to keep going. Even in the face of what seems like unanswered prayer. is that whole idea of Luke 18. If you know Luke 18 about the widow that kept coming. It is that intensity connected with the tenacity. That I, I, I see oftentimes we as believers, we can have a, a heart for something for some time. And over a period of time, that intensity, that passion wanes because of external things. In fact, as we're worshiping, and we're going to go into prayer in a few moments, I feel like there are people in here where it's just hopelessness. It's like over your life and over your spiritual growth and development, and maybe because of external circumstances, there's just a weight of hopelessness. And I believe God wants to revive hope in you this morning. That the things that have seemed like they're dead, and maybe you feel so discouraged because you've been praying and you haven't seen God move. See, it's not that God doesn't want to move. God is actually more in the business of doing something so deep in you. And I've been here, I've been there many times in prayer where I am praying for God to change something so much that I get to a place in the prayer where God does such a deep work in me. And all of a sudden, faith is arising in me and the situation hasn't changed but I have changed. And because I have changed, I found that oftentimes the situation ends up changing. And even when the situation hasn't ended up changing, whenever I look at the situation, I'm looking at it from an elevated position. Have you been in an airplane and looked down at something that looked big and all of a sudden it looks small? It's that same idea. It's like it's from an elevated position of faith. And for some of us in this room today, your tenacity uh, the ability to keep pressing into God is waned. It's like you've lost your fight. You need that fight in this generation. You will not thrive as a believer without an inward fight. <laughs> because the opposition we're facing is so great that you're not going to make any spiritual progress by just letting it, you know, whatever will be, will be, you know, that whole idea. I guess we just go to church and do We've done this all these years. No. God is calling you to get your fight back, get the hope back, have your heart revived in his presence. 